Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer at the Altamont Enterprise here this morning with Marathon Man Mike Moak. <laughs> Welcome, Mike. Nice to be here. We just got an email yesterday from Mike, and he's a man of action, and he's here today to tell us about not just running a marathon in every one of the United States, but running each of these marathons in under four hours. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) I would just like to hear how you started this quest. What what made this idea come into your head? Well, what happened was that I, uh, I, I ran my first marathon when I was 48. It was just one of those things that sort of evolved. I was doing some running at the time and had a conversation with a, a friend of mine, and he had just done his first marathon, and he asked if I'd ever thought of doing one, and sounded like an interesting challenge so I went about training as I determined later inadequately for my first one I ran it here in Albany uh, it's the Hudson Mohawk River Marathon and um, uh, it didn't go particularly well um, and it was mostly because I didn't really know what I was doing and uh, so then I I set about <clears throat> trying to better train better understand what one needs to do to run a marathon and I really got into the science of it and uh, decided my goal was going to be to qualify for the Boston Marathon so I I was able to do that so what do you have to do to qualify for the Boston Marathon they have particular times depending on your age and your gender that you have to run that time and, and they're fairly uh, demanding times. It's not easy uh, to get into the Boston Marathon. That's uh, uh, what makes it sort of a special race uh, of all the marathons is that, that everyone who's there has earned their way in. And um, so I, I was able to do that. I ran the Boston Marathon and then the, uh, the New York Marathon. And, and then I sort of found myself going, well, I want to continue doing these, but I didn't really have a particular goal in mind. And then I had heard that they had organizations of people that would attempt to run a marathon in every state. So I thought, well, that's that's a great goal to have. Uh, but then the more I learned about it, I found that some of these groups, it was just about quantity. They would, many of the people would go out and they would even use the term, I did a marathon, and this is opposed to I ran a marathon. In other words, they were they were checking off squares, but they weren't running them as a race. They were running them to say, "Okay, I did Iowa," or "I did," and and, uh, and that sort of turned me off a little bit because I I'm competitive by nature. I, I look at a marathon as a race, and I I wanted to run as good a time as I could, and then. I found out about this club, the 50 Sub 4 Club, where it's about both quantity, the 50 states, but quality is to run them all in good time and to run them competitively. So I said, wow, that's that's perfect. I said, that's just what I need to, to push yeah. me. And, well, uh, 
we need to back up this narrative. There's so many side rows I'd like to go down. So that first marathon where you weren't pleased with yourself because you felt you hadn't conditioned enough, what, what do you have to do to get ready to run 20, it's 26.2 miles. Mm-hmm. What, how do you do that? What do you prepare both well, mentally and physically for that kind of a grueling? Right. It's, um, it's, there's a, a lot of training that goes into running marathons, uh, many, many miles. Uh, and there's programs. You can find them in books, online, any number of places that, give you guidelines for how many miles to run a day, how many miles to run per week, uh, the types of runs to do. And uh, they vary a lot. And um, I was, uh, I, I read a lot. I went online. I investigated all different types of training programs, all different types of training philosophies. And the bottom line is, is that um, there are no shortcuts, there really aren't. Uh, and I run, generally I run about 40 miles a week. And that's broken down into everything from shorter five-mile runs up to 20-mile runs. And and uh, everything from uh, running fast, uh, running slow, uh, all different types of runs to get you where you need to be. Because it's it's a unique thing when you get to the final miles of a marathon and you have to have gotten yourself ready for that and it, um it's it's a very special endeavor they're not easy they're really not they're all challenging and um and you don't just get to a point and then say oh, i don't have to train anymore now i'm just running marathons i mean i train nonstop. from i've been at it for 15 years and it gives me something to do that's a lot of something. So continuing along that same opening narrative, then you got to the Boston Marathon, which you qualified for, and you mm-hmm. felt ready. Yes. And you were saying that's very special. And I, I went to Wellesley College, and they gave oh, us a holiday yes. for the marathon every year. And we would stand out. It was right near the Heartbreak I, Hill. I rem- the Wellesley girls are the, famous. Yeah, They're famous. Slices. And it just has something about that marathon that involves the whole city and its environs. And just tell us what it's like to be part of of that it's experience. Unparalleled. Honestly, people, you know, I've now I've done 54 marathons in total and people ask me what my favorite was and I, I don't even hesitate. It was Boston. I mean, Boston is, like you said, the whole city is out there. You've got hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, it's just, it's crazy and it's wonderful. And it, it is an amazing experience. And you thinking to yourself that you're just some guy, you know, you're not an Olympic athlete. You're not uh, anyone special in that regard. And yet you have all these people out there cheering for you and, and uh, supporting you. It, it's really a unique and amazing experience. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. And when you turn down Boylston Street for the finish line, I mean, it, it is one of the most memorable, greatest feelings of my life. It was absolutely incredible. And you're out there competing with the best in the world. You're not going to run with them or compete against them, 
but you're out there with them. I mean, it's... It, you can channel Joni Benoit. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Well, so tell me about the aspect of just going from state to state to state. Like, do you allot enough time so that you can do sightseeing when you're there? Is it kind of like a travel experience, too? Is it just getting there for the marathon, running and going home? No, right? it's, that's, that's a great question because uh, my wife, Heidi, has traveled with me all around the country to all of these races. And way back when we first started, we would, unfortunately, we, we would just get in the day before, do the race, and leave. And uh, through her suggestion, she said, you know, we need to spend some time in these places and enjoy ourselves and see the country. And um, I've, I've often said that there's almost no worse spectator sport in the world than marathon running. It's sort of like, you know, off you go and they're like, all right, three and a half hours, I'll see you later. And there you go. And you, and you come, you know, it's not, it's not real exciting to watch. So um, we did start the idea of if we're going to go somewhere, we're going to spend some time there and enjoy ourselves and see things. And it's been, that's been as big a part of it as the running itself. We've seen things that we would probably never otherwise see you know we've the national parks in north dakota the the badlands in south dakota we've uh riding ranches in new mexico uh, it just we go to museums almost everywhere we go that talks about the local history of places we've learned so much about the country we we visited an abandoned iron ore mine in marquette Michigan up in the upper peninsula who would who would ever do that you know but it was fascinating <laughs> yeah. it was incredible we so uh that part of it has been incredible it's just been the I, I've seen so much of this country that I would not otherwise have ever seen so you mentioned your wife Heidi and yes. she seems essential to this because she's so supportive. Oh yeah. I just cuz one of my questions was how do you fit this in with the rest of your life? You're you're working at the same time, right? What do you do right. for a living? Well, that's that's where I'm lucky in two regards. Uh I'm an airline pilot. I fly for Delta Airlines. And so two things. One is that when I travel to all these places all over the country for these races i get to fly for free so as does heidi so that's a nice thing but also uh surprisingly that occupation gives me the opportunity to train while i'm at work because i will fly into a city i'll often be there for several hours actually like 24 hours for uh, international trips which i do now and during that time i'll go out and do my runs and then uh off i fly someplace else i get there and i'll do another run and it's surprisingly accommodating to someone who's doing what i'm doing it's uh and then when i'm home uh once we became empty nesters that's it's understood. That's just something that I do. I take time out of each day to go do my run. And uh, we have, well, Heidi has horses. 
So she takes care of the horses and I go for my runs and and we both have our time to ourselves. Oh, that sounds perfect. Now, you sent um, with your email some pictures. You have a large family that gathered for your very last run. This was in Hartford in yes. mid-October. Yes, yes. And um, just tell us a little about that. I mean, they're pictured all wearing special t-shirts they must have had made for the occasion they did and they surprised me with that oh so you didn't know that was coming i had no idea so that was uh that was just the the greatest thing to be coming towards the finish line and to suddenly spot this this sea of blue with uh with my name on the front it was really uh really very special and i chose hartford for my last one because I'd already done New York. In fact, I'd done New York twice. So that was already checked off. So I was going to have to choose another state to be my last one. And I chose Hartford because it's not far away. It's only a couple-hour drive. And I knew that that would make it easier for family and friends to, to be there for it, which was really important to me. And it was just... It was just great. They were so... All of my friends, uh, many of them live here in Altamont. Most of my family lives here in Altamont. And they uh, were more than anxious to come over and share this day with me. I I felt like a rock star. It was just just the greatest thing. I I can't tell you. And, And I have one grandchild... A little boy named Carson. He was he's eighteen months old, and to have him there at the finish line cheering on Poppy was uh, that was very special, very yeah, very special. And but, I bet he'll see those pictures for the rest of his life. But one thing that struck me: you had written a sort of essay about your last run, and you were as you were starting, you were thinking about, you know, how would you would you push yourself, or would you just be safe and easy and like what goes through your mind as a runner when you're running or yeah. does your mind not even function oh, because your body is no so- actually that's I, I, I think about it virtually the entire race and uh like as, as you said when i when i went to start that race i so much is dependent on conditions of the day uh what the weather is how hilly the course is, uh, wind, rain, uh, any number of things. Actually, even how you're feeling. I mean, I've, there's been many times where I've run where I've had some injury or another that I was working through, a, either a strained hamstring or a sore hip or <clears throat> any number of things that is going to determine just how strong a pace I would be able to run in any given race. And it varies uh, significantly. But that day, I was feeling particularly good, and I felt little doubt that I'd come in under four hours. But then I thought, but do I just go ahead and push it as hard as I can to see how, how high I can finish in my, in my age group? And I thought, yeah, let's go for it. You know, like I, I, and <laughs> Your I, grandson's and, there. <laughs> well, everybody was there. But, you know, there... Uh, marathons are a funny thing you know someday you get the bear and someday the bear gets you and there's been days when you feel like not only are you not going to make it under four hours but you're not going to make it at all and 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 that can happen very unexpectedly and 
there's a certain risk to pushing yourself to your limit because it doesn't take much to overstep that limit. And then the next thing you know, you're in so deep that you can't finish. And uh, I didn't want that to happen. But you can sort of sort of feel it as you go, like what's today going to be like. And I was feeling pretty good, so I pushed it. And um, it turned out to be a great result. So I was very happy. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So um, most of us, I think, don't even know our limits. Uh, but you must have a very finely tuned or calibrated way of, of knowing that about yourself. Is that developed over the years of running? Yes, yeah. very much so. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because uh, what's interesting about most of the races when you start out, you feel very good almost always. And it's very easy to think, I can run faster than I think today. And then if you do that, it catches up to you by the end. So you have to be very disciplined to not just run as fast as you feel like you can. And people who are inexperienced at running marathons, that's often the case, is they feel great for about, 20 miles and then it's like they got hit by a truck because they've used up too much energy so much of it is about energy management and um and you can feel your breathing you can feel your heart and you can tell while you're running if you're pushing it too hard and uh and that just comes with experience and it's that's part of racing it's just and um uh there's i've hit a couple where i i went too fast in the beginning and and by the end, it was just awful. So so did you have to go back to certain states and do it again? Yes, uh, twice. Uh, I had to go back. To, there was a famous marathon in Chicago back in 2007 that I ran in. And it was uh, the temperature topped out at 89 degrees. Okay. And it was also terribly humid. It, it was our, It was certainly physically the worst thing I've ever been through in my life. And... Uh, and I came in over four hours on that race, but at least I made it. There was a, there were a lot of people that didn't. That was a, an awful day in racing. There was one gentleman died, and there was hundreds of people in in the hospital. It was it was a very bad day that, for marathoning. Uh, but then I did Memphis, Tennessee, just a couple of years ago, and again, hot, humid, and. I knew it was going to be trouble, but I couldn't get in under four hours on that one either. So it happens. It's those are those are the bad days when it's really hot and humid. So uh, well, most of us would be so happy just to finish, and here here you are doing a redo. Well, I'd like to just go back into your childhood. You described yourself as competitive. Like, where did this come from? What like what? Who were your parents? What were they like? And what was well, what, my, what I, made you who you are? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good question. I I come from a blue collar background. My my dad was uh, an electrician. My mom was a school bus driver. I grew up in Voorheesville, and uh, I was I was an okay athlete, but I was I, I was a good student. I was academically I did pretty well, and that's I was competitive more about academics I think than I was about sports, uh, but then. Uh, I had a great teacher and friend. Uh, his name was Dick Leach, and he started a wrestling team in uh, Voorheesville. 
and uh, I went to wrestle for him and that's competitive wrestling is there's there's almost nothing quite as uh there's no judging there's no scores it's just you and one other person on the no mat. teammates no balls yeah. just two just two bodies you, yeah yeah and i think that really instilled in me a competitive nature in regards to sports but i never liked running i really didn't i i actually went out for the cross-country team when I was in seventh grade. I'll never forget it because there was three tremendous runners from Voorheesville at that time. Rich Langford, Ray DeMarco, and Rick Ellis. They were incredible. They were not just three of the top runners in this area. They were three of the top runners in the whole state of New York. And everybody looked up to them, and I thought, well, I'd like to try running. So, But they didn't really tell you much about what you needed to do. Were they just kind of I think I went out there on my gym suit and Converse All-Stars or something silly. And, and we were at, the, at Voorheesville High School, and they basically, the coach said, okay, run to New Salem and back. You know, he might as well have told me to run to Orlando and back. It was, <laughs> it was impossible. I, and it, it was miserable. I felt horrible. I think I stayed on the team for about two or three days, as I recall, and vowed I would never run long distances again in my life. And so I, I only ran to be in shape for other things, like for other sports. You know, you did some running and wrestling, and and I did some running when I was in the Air Force to stay in shape. But I didn't do it competitively, and I didn't do long distances until, like I said, I was in my late 40s. And, And then once I discovered that I could do this with enough work and training, I became very competitive, and I, I... to this day, I am. I, I want to compete when I'm in my 70s. I really do. That's amazing. So you mentioned the Converse All-Stars. How important is equipment? I mean, what kind of running shoes do you use, and does it make a difference? It makes a huge difference. And I tell anybody who's looking at starting running to go to a good running store, not just a sporting goods store. Go to a good running store. I use Fleet Feet Sports over uh, on Wolf Road, they're fantastic, and they they put you on a treadmill. They look at your, they film your feet. They they measure precisely. They look at your pronation. There's almost nothing more important than getting good shoes if you're going to get into running. And it took me a while to find something that works for me. There's a, a brand called Saucony that I use, and uh, I change. I put new running shoes on about every three months or so. That's, but uh, just because you've worn the other ones out. Yeah, and it doesn't take <laughs> long to wear them out. Yeah. And there, but so many injuries and so much trouble with other things that you don't think have to do with your shoes come from that. From not having the right fit, not having the right uh, style. So, yeah, it's. It's very important, and uh, those are good people over there. They're real running uh, advocates, and they take good care of you. So shout out to my friends at Fleet Feet Sports. (laughs) good. So when you're, like, in the hardest part of a race, and it seems to be, you were saying, like, the last six miles. Yes. What, is there something you reach for, like, mentally or spiritually, or how do you got through those really hard parts 
That that's a that's a really good question because it's it's almost like this sort of mind games that you start to play where I I I think of it in terms of rather than say to myself I've got another 45 minutes of this misery to go I will say okay I've just got w- one more mile one more mile one, there it is and there now I'm at 22 okay when I get to 23 I've only got 3 to go and I and I and I just keep doing it one mile at a time rather than thinking about the full distance that I have left because when you think of that it's just incredibly depressing when you when you're just absolutely feeling horrible and you realize that you've got pushing an hour left of that I, I have to push those thoughts out of my mind and and I actually a lot of what I do is I visualize the finish the finish is just so at the, at the finish of every one it is just an incredibly fulfilling incredible feeling that I will just keep imagining that finish line and that tends to keep me going. But there are times when it's it's really tough to keep going. People talk about the wall, hitting the wall in a marathon. There's two there's kind of two walls. There's one that's a mental wall where you think all right, I I got to stop. I'm just so tired. I just got to stop and it's I can't go on. I'm I feel sick. My legs feel horrible. I, but then there's a physical wall that you can hit, and that has happened to me two or three times, where you just can't go on. You just can't keep running. And what is the cause of that physical wall? That is, you've expended virtually all of your energy stores that you can store in your body. All of the glycogen is gone, and when you hit that physical wall and people talk about pushing through that, there's no such thing. That When you hit that wall, that would be like saying, if I'm in a car and it runs out of gas, I'm just going to push down harder on the accelerator to make myself go. It's not going. It's out of gas. And that's I've been, only been there on two occasions, and there's no you you just can't go on. You can walk, you can jog a little bit, but you're done for the day. But the mental wall, that's a different thing. That's that feeling of discomfort and nausea and fatigue that sort of piles on you. And that's when, like, like I say, you just start playing mind games with yourself, making deals with yourself. You know, I'm, I'm not going to look at my watch for the next five minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, think about the next mile until I get to the next one. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's strange. People say, well, that sounds like a lot of fun, but it's not fun. <laughs> but it's when you get to the finish line, it's incredibly fulfilling. So when you mention this physical wall, is there something you can do about like how you eat or how, how what? What diet do you follow to be in this kind of shape? Well, that's uh, that's a really good question because you most people have heard of the term carbo-loading. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is uh, to get a lot of glycogen into your, stored in your system so that it's there as fuel for you during the race. And fuel that's immediately accessible. 
And I will start taking in very high amounts of carbohydrates for about two weeks before a race. And then the night before, it's always a big pasta dinner. It's, that's become like one of the funnest things I've ever done. As I've I've been to some of the best Italian restaurants in the whole United States. I do a <laughs> lot of research. I really do. And uh, we had a, a fantastic one at Hartford the night before. I think there was sixteen of us there at this restaurant, and and uh, it was just a blast. But but the the carbo loading is very important. And then during the race, you're burning up that energy. And I do take some in during the race. There's little packets of we. It's called goo or different. There's different brand names, but it's 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 just basically uh, high concentrations of carbs that you put into your body that they can ex- that it can access immediately. But you can only take in so much of that without making yourself feel sick. So it's not like you can just keep taking that in the whole race. And so you find what you can handle and and how often to do it. But then uh, I've mentioned a couple times that a marathon is a lot about energy management. And the problem is if you run too fast, you start burning into energy stores that you need later in the race. And the best analogy I would make is think of like a hybrid vehicle where you want to be running on the battery of that vehicle for as much as you can. But every now and then, whether it's up a hill or into the wind or something like that, you're burning some gas. Well, if you're burning gas through the whole race, when you get towards the end, the battery is already depleted and you've got no gas left. So what you're trying to do is save that gas for when you need it at the end of the race. You want to run on battery power as much as you can, and that's all about pacing. That's all about keeping your pace at such that I'm just using my battery, saving my gas, and then at the end you you have that gas left. So it's a, I love the science of it. I find it fascinating, and I've studied a lot about it, and it's, it's a lot more complicated than I originally realized. Yeah, it must be. So you say you want to keep running into your 70s. What is next? I mean, what is there left to do? What? Well, this is going to sound crazy, but um, just like there was this 50 sub four club, there is also something called the Seven Continents Club. And I've decided I'm going to run a marathon on every continent. So, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I, I actually... I did Edinburgh, Scotland uh, many years ago, and so obviously I've got North America and Europe done, and I've got a whole uh, plan mapped out for the other five, and I start out in Kyoto, Japan in February is is my next race, so I'm training for that now. Uh, The sticking point, obviously, for that is anybody with a rudimentary geographic knowledge knows that Antarctica is a continent. Yeah. So that's challenging to do. Do they have a marathon there? Well, they do. That's but the challenging part is you have to go with a tour group that specifically does that. And there's two that do it in the world. And one of them you fly down and do the marathon and then fly out. The other one you take a 
boat across from South America and back. And that one is the one I'm going to do. It's fascinating because you do, uh, it's a research vessel and you go down and you see uh, everything from glaciers to whales to penguins and, and all that and learn all about it. And that so sounds like a fascinating trip. But then when you stop in and and pull into the dock, you go out and you run a marathon and get back on a boat and <laughs> sail back. So what a life you lead. Well, it's crazy. Uh, but it, it, like I said, just like I got to see the country now, I'm going to get to see, see the part, world. See the world. Yeah. And Heidi's going with you. I don't think she's going to do Antarctica with me. It's really expensive. And, um, and it's also very difficult to get a slot. Uh, right now, I'm confirmed for 2023 is the next slot available, but I'm on a waiting list for to go earlier. They do one trip a year, and being if I go as a single, I have a lot better shot of getting uh, a slot to go down because you know I'm not getting any younger, and these don't get any easier. So I'd, I'd kind of like to do it before I get too old. So. Well, after that, what, the moon? Do they have an interplanetary group? <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> Richard Branson has anything to say about it. They probably will run a marathon on the moon at some point. But uh, I think that'll be that'll cover all the bases. But, I mean, you're part of a very elite group. There are just 20-some people that have done it in every state, right? No, 120. Oh, 120. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 100, and then- I was the 126 uh, finisher for the 50 sub four. So well, yeah, still an elite group. How many have done it on every continent? Do you know? Don't know for sure. I don't really know the numbers of that. How many have done it at your age? Well, not a lot. That's yeah. <laughs> just... I, I think they said they, uh, the 50 sub four, I think they said I was the second oldest finisher. So, um, I do wish I'd started when I was younger because, uh, you just slow down when you get older. You, you can't help it. I <laughs> well, mean, you, you don't slow down. Oh, I, the no, rest I, of us do. No, I do. I, really? Yeah. I mean, my times from when I was uh, in my 50s, of, you know, I've, I've slowed down. And that's why with, with getting them all in under four hours, I was sort of racing father time as much as anything because there's going to come a day where I'm not going to be able to run marathons under four hours. That's just inevitable. But... Uh, but I didn't. I couldn't run them too closely together, because then uh, fatigue leads to injury, and then once you get hurt, then you can't run. So I had. To, it was a real balancing act with trying to do as many per year as I could without pushing myself too hard. So. Is with the con- in the different continent races? Does it have to be under four hours as no, well? No, uh, okay. a lot of those, uh, even the winning time for some of those races is over four hours. They're they're fairly unique. You can imagine you're running through snow, ice, mud, and glaciers and things in, in Antarctica, where it's it's not about speed. There, you're you know, it's just. That is more about just getting it done. Just yeah, and some of them, uh, there's the one I'm planning on doing in South America is uh, Patagonia down in southern Chile, and that's very mountainous, high altitude. Again, these aren't races that are meant to be run under four hours. So, so no, that part of it is done. Um, 
Well, thank you so much for sharing this. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, I, the only thing I would say is for people that have ever thought about uh, taking on running a marathon or running marathons is, is to get with uh, some type of training program, even if you don't want to run marathons, even if you just want to take up running, don't just go out and try to do these things on your own. There's Again, I mentioned Fleet Feet again. They have some terrific programs. One of them I think they refer to as from the couch to your first 5K. And they, they do just a great job of getting people to keep running. Because the first time that you go out and run, it's not like it's fun. You know, you don't go out and run and go, wow, I love this. It's difficult and it's challenging and it's uncomfortable. Fine. <laughs> yet you do it. But but you but that's the thing is that you find out if you stick with it, the rewards are incredible. Tell it's, us about the rewards. I hear about a runner's high all the time. Is there such a thing? Uh, you know, I I don't think I wouldn't describe it that way because that's uh, they almost talk about that as a, as some type of. Um, uh, endorphin kind of a yeah. thing that you get like, and I, I don't know. I, I think that's oversold. I, I think that it's the gratification that you feel uh, as you complete these runs, as you complete these marathons. It's, it's not quite so much about the, the, while you're doing it, it's not like while you're doing it, you're saying, boy, this is fun. You really don't. But the feeling that you get when you've accomplished it is incredible. It's just this really uh, fulfilling and uh, wonderful feeling that you've done something special. And uh, so I think when people go out and they run and they say, this doesn't feel good, this doesn't feel fun, it's not really supposed to. You know, that's kind of not what it's about. Anything, whether it's competitive cycling or swimming or anything like that, I don't think most people, while they're doing it, are going, this is a blast. <laughs> but but when, you, when you finish it, it's a, it's a tremendous feeling. Well, that is a good closing thought, is a metaphor for life. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Melissa.